Grace and peace to you from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So when you come to church, what do you see? Just take a moment and think about what you see when you come to church. Now, what you see when you come to church depends on the church you're in. It depends on the experiences you've had, and it depends on your understanding of Jesus. For instance, if I walk down the street and walk into another church this morning, am I going to see the same things I see here? If I walk into New Spring this morning, am I going to see the same things I see here? Well, for one thing, the worship might look a little different. The people are certainly going to look different because if you're here, you're not there. And if you're there, you're not here. It's different people. And what people's lives look like might be different as well as far as how they understand their life in Jesus Christ. And all of that is intersecting when we come to worship to shape what we see. So if someone from New Spring comes over here and joins us this morning, they might see something completely different than what you're seeing. It all depends on how the Holy Spirit has shaped your understanding of what worship is supposed to be and what is going on here. So this morning, we're going to look at the glory of Jesus Christ, although we can't really look at it directly, so we're going to look at it indirectly in three ways, in the worship of our church, in the people in our church, and in the lives of the people in our church. In verse 27 of chapter 9, right before we get into the transfiguration where Jesus is shown in all his glory, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says that the glory of the Son of Man and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels will be revealed on the last day. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come. So you have Jesus referring to the glory of heaven, the glory of the last day, and yet he says, before you die, some of you are going to see this already now. How does this happen? How is it possible that they could see the kingdom already? Now, most Christians, when they think about this phrase, the kingdom of God, and they look at this passage, they say, well, it's heaven. It's the glory of the king. And they would be right. It is the glory of heaven to see the kingdom, to see the king in his glory ruling and reigning on his throne supreme. But Jesus says, before you die, you will see it. So how can that be? Well, we 
our first instinct is to go, well, what's the context that follows? Right afterwards, Jesus takes James, Peter, and John up on the mountain, and there they see the glory. They see the king. They see Jesus transfigured. So for them, they've seen it already before they've died. Just like Jesus said, some of you will see the kingdom before you taste death. They've seen the kingdom coming to that mountaintop in glory. But that's not all there is to it. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's going to be our jumping off point to go into the next season in the church here. Which is? What is Wednesday? Okay, so... You might not even know, Ash Wednesday is already this Wednesday, and it's going to be a new church season. So at the end of our sermon, we're going to be leaving you hanging as we are heading into what I call the passion season, because nobody really knows what Lent means. And so I had a professor say, he called it the passion season, focusing us on the passion and suffering of Jesus Christ. But we start with worship, which will be the biggest part of our study and conversation today is worship. Is worship basically what Peter and James and John experienced on the mountain? Peter, James, and John saw heaven. They were thinking what you're thinking when you hear the kingdom of God and you think of the heavenly glory of Jesus Christ and all his angels on the last day. And they were not wrong. In fact, it is not wrong to think of worship as a heavenly experience with the king. That's what worship is. It is the king coming to earth to meet with you and reveal his glory. Do you see it? In worship, this is happening, which is why if I walked into New Spring this morning and saw them beginning their service with adoration and praise, I should not be totally shocked. If we are going to meet with the king, if we are going to see Jesus Christ, if we are going to believe that Jesus is here now with us, revealing the mysteries of his work as our Savior, we would be right to be standing up. We would not be wrong to be shouting praises. We would not be wrong to be moving and celebrating this joyous event. Not everything going on there, if it's praise or contemporary worship, is all wrong. To express our love, our awe, and our longing for the king of glory, to see it on our faces, to see it in our body language, and to have it in our enthusiasm is something that's a little bit strange to us because we didn't grow up around that type of worship, but is not all wrong. We should take note that we are, in essence, doing the same thing when we sing the Gloria in Excelsis. Now, we put it into a different form of music, a different structure, and we use what I would say are deeper biblical words and ideas in that Gloria. 
But we are celebrating the king in that song. Which is why we took more time this morning to pause and think about this. Adoration, thanksgiving. Why are we here? And when you sing that song, even though the music might not lend itself, it should be something that is fully expressing the love of your heart for the Lord and the all you have to be in his majesty. The glory cloud overshadows us, but this is where we need to take a step back and realize that with all of that happiness comes a sense of fear also. When the glory cloud overshadows Peter, James, and John, they're not singing praise songs anymore. They're terrified. Because God is an amazing and frightening being. That if we were to see this for ourselves, on the one hand, we're filled with joy and excitement, but on the other hand, we're terrified because we are sinners. The voice says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And poof, it's all over. And only Jesus is left. And he's not glowing anymore. It's quiet. He's alone. And they need to go down from the mountain. Jesus is normal at that point. Jesus is human. Jesus is humble. Because Peter, James, and John had not been seeing properly. Which is why Peter was so caught up in the worship experience that he wanted to build a church right there and stay on the mountain the whole time. As if our liturgy and worship were going to be nothing but adoration and praise to only see the glory of God and nothing else about the reality of coming down from the mountain into a fallen world. They missed something because they fell asleep during the sermon. And so we get to this point in the service where finally it's quieted down and you're sitting and it's warm and you doze off because you miss something in the text that Peter and James and John weren't fully aware of at the time. While they're sleeping, there's a conversation going on. And it's three people, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And what are they talking about? Some of you have Bibles open during the sermon and page through, and you could look at that verse, but it wouldn't tell you the full story. In the New King James, it says his decease is near. Okay, well, they were talking about how he was going to die. In the ESV, it says his departure was near. Okay, he's, he's about to head out to, off the mountain to go to Jerusalem. But in the Greek, the word is exodus. Now, where does that word exodus mean? Where does that come from? What does it remind us of? That Jesus and Moses and Elijah were talking about Jesus' exodus from this world. It evokes for us the memories of Moses and his exodus as he led the children of Israel out of slavery through the wilderness. And that was not a glorious path. 
Jesus needs to show us, and Jesus knows that he's coming down from the mountain in his humble human form to make his exodus, his going out to lead his people out with him, just like Moses, to the cross and beyond. So our worship is going to follow him on that journey. On the one hand, we are experiencing the presence and glory of the king right with us today, speaking to us, teaching us, guiding our lives. And for that, we adore him. But on the other hand, we recognize Jesus intends to conceal the glory, to cover it up to come down from the mountain and look to everyone else like he's normal. And when he's on the cross, dying, people are not seeing the glory. Jesus is teaching us how to interpret the scriptures, how to understand himself as the son of God, but how his kingdom is coming already, it's just hidden. This is what I believe Luke is also trying to emphasize as you go on through the next chapters. From chapter 9 all the way to the end, which I don't have time to go through every verse. I wrote them all down in my Bible here. A whole section of notes here on the side that says every reference to kingdom that comes between chapter 9 and the end. Something about king, something about a kingdom. And you could also reference every time it talks about seeing. And notice, what are the people seeing? Jesus says, you will see my kingdom. What are they seeing? Because many don't see it. Jesus says, some standing here will see it, but not all. Judas never saw it. Because it's hidden. And the clearest place you see Jesus talk about this is in chapter 17, it begins at verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is. Or there, behold, the kingdom. For behold, the kingdom of God is is right in front of you. It's right in your midst. It's happening now. Don't expect for it to come the way that you think it will come, like the glory of Moses on the mountain shining in our faces. But Jesus follows by saying, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation talks about his suffering then. And he follows by telling four stories. He begins chapter 18 then to unfold and unpack what the kingdom looks like when we see it. And he shows in examples of people. So when we come to church in the morning, Sunday morning, we come in here, what do we see? We see people. What kind of people? Well, first person he mentions is a widow. A widow who is demanding justice from a judge. And her life is filled with injustice, and she's pleading and praying to this judge that he would help them. 
And it's this persistence of the widow that prevails. The persistence of prayer. The second one is a tax collector. One who has supposedly betrayed his people. A swindler, perhaps. But who has come to God for forgiveness. And is there in the temple where no one can see him. Off in the corner, hiding and praying that God would forgive him. Well, the religious figure of the Pharisee is standing in the middle with everyone's attention, thanking God. Thirdly, you have infants being brought to Jesus, and Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a little child. And then fourthly, you have a rich ruler who is told to give up everything he has and become poor. Jesus says the kingdom does not come with outward observation because the kingdom is already in your midst. And let me show you four ways that my kingdom is coming already. A widow praying, a sinner forgiven, a child blessed, and a rich man who becomes poor. Now, does that sound like the glory of the kingdom? Is that what you imagined Jesus meant when he said, you will see my kingdom. Well, I don't want to make anyone feel awkward here, but sometimes I think it's good to be a little bit uncomfortable and feel awkward. So just think about it. If you are to look around at the people in this church, what do you see? Now, I know that's uncomfortable, but I'm going to walk down this aisle and make you guys look at each other and I'm not trying to pick anyone, but our friend Perkins is here. He's back. We haven't seen him for quite a while. Praise be to the Lord. You know, we've got Mr. Gant here, who I'm so thankful to see him in Bible class every Sunday because he asks the questions that everybody's afraid to ask. They're good questions. We've got Mark Wales and Trudy, who seem to be my sidekicks on everything I do. We've got Justin Gooden here, who's living up in the church's apartment, and he's a plumber, and he's working to get his future straightened out, and how grateful we are that he's here. And we've got Adam here, and not everybody knows Adam, but I know Adam, and Adam is a solid guy. We've got Ms. Clara here, we've got our teacher and his family with their little kids. And look at these little kids back here. <laughs> Are you seeing the kingdom? Jesus wants his disciples to know where the kingdom is headed. Where he is headed. And when we look around at the people, and if we really know each other, if we know what's going on in each other's lives, we know it's not glorious. We can make it seem like it's glorious for a while, and we can give people at a distance impressions that 
you know, everything's fine and we've got it all together. But when you really get to know a person, when you live with this person day in and day out, when you talk with this person, when you pray with this person, you find out nobody's life is filled with the shining glory of the Mount of Transfiguration. They're all ordinary. They're all struggling in different ways. They're all fallen sinners. But I pray that we're all here together with Jesus, redeemed, restored, and with a growing joy to know that Jesus is with us. Jesus is headed to the cross, which is just now giving our preview for what's coming with Lent and the Passion season around the corner. Jesus is heading to the cross, and right around the section with the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus has to remind his disciples, the Son of Man is going to suffer. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and ashes are meant to symbolize our mortality, that we came from dust and we're headed to dust, but also hope that we came from the garden and we're headed to the garden. And in between, yes, is suffering, death, but it's leading us to resurrection, leading us to Easter. Today we sing glorious hymns about the transfiguration. We sing about the king. And the rhythms of the church year are meant to help us in these ebbs and flows of the kingdom. But to remember that we come down from the mountain to Ash Wednesday and we head into the passion season for 40 days with Jesus to follow him. And that'll be the theme of Luke going forward to follow Jesus from chapter 9 and verse 51. It says he sets his face toward Jerusalem. His face is determined and directed to get to the place he needs to be, the cross. Where Pilate asks, are you a king? Where the rulers mock, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. If you are the son of God, then come down from the cross where even the disciples leave the city defeated and they say, we hoped he was going to redeem Israel. They're not seeing it. But on the other hand, we find some who do see it. A criminal on the cross at the last moment who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A centurion who sees all that's happening around him, and he says, surely this was a righteous man, a council leader who did not consent to the death of Jesus, who buries his body, and finally the disciples themselves who see his hands and his feet. And he opens their minds, and they understand the kingdom has come and is coming. It's just hidden from our eyes. We couldn't see it until finally they break bread. And then they see, oh, Jesus is with us this Sunday morning. This is what our worship is about. And it needs to have moments of adoration and praise where we're expressing our joy with true enthusiasm. 
but then also moments of humility, moments where we are real with each other, moments of fallenness as we deal with our pilgrim way. But all headed to the final glory where we will see the kingdom culminate in Christ's total victory over sin and death and the devil. Amen.